James 4 and verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. How many receive that? More grace. Therefore, he says, notice, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Notice that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In verse 10, here's another key verse for tonight. Verse 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Notice that. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't have to lift up yourself. Nobody else has to lift you up. If you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. I mean, no promotion comes from God and nobody else. So if you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up and he'll promote you. doesn't matter if anybody even likes it or not. He will promote you and lift you up. Notice humble, but you got to be humble and humble yourselves before God and notice he will lift you up. Let's look over at Psalms. Psalm 51. Okay, I'm ready. Psalm 1. That's all I needed to hear. Now I'm ready to go. Psalm 51. And some of this is a, this is a very familiar passage. It's uh, the psalmist David, and it's uh, known as a prayer of repentance to God. And Psalms 51 and verse 16, we're going to start. And notice David says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. And you do not delight in burnt offerings. Notice verse 17, key verse for tonight. The sacrifices of God are this. A broken spirit, and a broken and a contrite heart, these, O God, you will not despise. Notice that the sacrifices of God are this, a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You hear so far. So if you're taking notes tonight, the time of message is the power of a broken spirit. <laughs> you can get excited about it. It's okay. I realize that's a sobering title, but it's, it's going to be a good title. The Power of a Broken Spirit. Let's just stay parked out at Psalm, Psalm 51. But thinking about this, um, I've, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I preached something similar to this before, but I've added some stuff to it, is the power of a broken spirit, and we're going to say, in a second what a broken spirit is not and what it is because you can maybe think the wrong thing but the power of a broken spirit is really the key to life and is really the key to a life with God and if you keep a broken spirit before God you'll never go wrong the rest of your life if you keep a broken, humble, contrite, tender-hearted spirit towards God, you'll never go wrong. That's the one thing about David. David was a man after God's own heart. Everybody know that. David was a man after God's own heart. That doesn't mean David was perfect because he wasn't. David sinned numerous times. But the reason he was a man after God's own heart is he was quick to repent when he missed it. He was quick to be tender-hearted, broken before God, saying, I'm wrong if I'm wrong. He wasn't prideful. That's why God exalted David and, and blessed David's life and uh, blessed David's family. How we know that Jesus came through David's family lineage because David was right before God. Why? Because he had a broken spirit. He had a broken spirit. And really, I want to say this too. 
having a broken spirit individually, and I'm, I'm talking to us as a group, but individually is the key to revival in your life. Having a broken spirit. How many know you will not have revival if you're prideful and you're always trying to make excuses to God and everybody else why you're right and they're wrong? When you just won't admit that you're wrong about some things and God's right. How many know he knows everything and you don't? So it would be wise on your behalf to listen to what he has to say and not your brain that's only been initiated for 16 years on this planet when he has been here for all eternity. So he knows everything and you don't. And the quicker you realize that and you have a broken heart and a broken spirit before him, the better your life will go. Now, this is what a broken spirit is not because I realize you're saying, well, that just doesn't sound nice. That's not a good confession to say having a broken spirit. But a broken spirit is this, in the context of what we're saying here, is a broken spirit is not a bitter, not unforgiving, not a depressed spirit. That's not what he's talking about here. And we're going to get into the rest of this, what a broken spirit is and what it's not. So realize, when I'm saying broken spirit, I'm not talking about uh, you're one of those people that says, I'm broken, I'm jaded, I'm damaged. And you act like that for the rest of your life. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about you being humble, contrite, having a sober, tender-hearted attitude towards God that if God corrects you about something, if God wants to move in your life, you're not prideful, but you humble yourself before God, and not just God, but spiritual leaders and other people in your life, enough to listen to somebody and have a tender heart towards God. If he wants you to change, you're going to change. And so when I say broken spirit, understand it's not bitter, not unforgiving, not a depressed person when I'm talking broken spirit. But notice in Psalm 51, 16, it says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it, and you do not delight in burnt offerings. Verse 17, The sacrifices of our God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now realize this, that he's talking about sacrifices, and it wasn't wrong to do sacrifices. God told the Old Testament people to give sacrifices. So David would not be wrong for giving a burnt offering or giving another offering to God because that's what they did in that day to make up for their sin. They didn't have uh, Jesus, so all they could do was go to the temple and, and have burnt offering sacrifices. Some were called grain offerings. They'd bring grain, they'd bring turtle doves, they'd bring goats, they'd bring all kinds of animals, not their cats. I wish some cats could get burnt offering off. I could, I could do that to some kittens. Not some kittens, some cats. Sorry, you cat lovers. But there is some cats, not kittens. Kittens are cute. But there is some cats that are demonic, and we all can say amen on that, that need to be offered before the Lord as a burnt offering. Not kittens, you cat lovers. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say kittens. I meant to say cat. <laughs> well, you, you might have one at your house, really. The sacrifices of God, notice, are a broken spirit and a contrary heart. So it wasn't wrong that David wanted to give burnt offerings and make sacrifices for God. But realize this, and this was even in the Old Testament, and how many know we're under the New Testament, the New Covenant? So how much more? But even in the Old Testament, God, the, the reason he asked him to give sacrifices is not just because he wanted them to do something for him. He wanted them. He didn't just want want what they gave him he wanted them and that's the same thing today so that's why he said you don't want all these things because how many know you can give offerings and sacrifices and God still not have you (laughs) 
you can so-called act and come to the altar and act like you're repenting and God still not have you. So that doesn't impress God. That's why he said, if you wanted that, I could give it to you. It would be easy. And how many know he was the king, so he had an endless supply of burnt offerings if he wanted them. But he said, God, that's not what you want, but you really want me. You want a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And how many know it's the same thing today? God doesn't want what you do for him. He wants you. And so many people think God wants you for what you can do for him. No, God just wants you. But how many know if he has you, you'll do something? But that's not the motivation. God didn't want you just so you will do something. He wants you. How many know you can do all those things for God and God still not have your heart? In Matthew, let's go look over at Matthew. Matthew 9. Matthew 9. You following what I'm saying so far tonight? Matthew 9 and verse 13. Let's actually start in verse 12. And so the context of what Jesus is saying here, he's talking to religious people, church-going people, Pharisees, Sadducees, people that did everything that God told them to do or tried to in the Old Testament. But notice, they did all those things, but they didn't have a relationship with God. So guess what? God did not care that they did all those things. Because that wasn't the point. Is you just do all these things and we have no relationship with each other. No, you do those things because it becomes out of your relationship with God. And notice, so Jesus is speaking to religious mindset of people. And he goes, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Notice that because the people he was talking to of that day were self-righteous. They thought they didn't need any help. But Jesus said, I came to call sinners to repentance. But he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And notice, up until that time before Jesus came, God required sacrifices. So it wasn't wrong that they were sacrificing, but it was wrong that they were putting the emphasis on what they did for, for God instead of on having a relationship with him and not having their heart connected to it. That's where they went off. And notice he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Why? Because you can do sacrifice as an act, but mercy is something that comes from your heart. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice because I don't care if you do all these things at church, you look spiritual, you play the part, but you can still not do it for me. Let's look over at Matthew 15. Y'all still here? We're just getting warmed up. Matthew 15 and verse 8. He's speaking to religious people again. And he says in Matthew 15 verse 8, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips. But notice their heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Like I said, you can come to church, you can be in ministry of helps, you can give tithes and offerings, you can come in and, and do the worship thing, you can come and flatter pastor and kiss his behind and give him cards and, and call him pastor, but how many know you can still have a heart that's far from God? Because <laughs> talk is cheap. That's why he said, you can, you can talk all you want and say, I honor you, God, 
but your heart can still be far from God. And God doesn't delight in that. And notice, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I wrote this down earlier. You can be really good at doing church and your heart be really, really far from God. I will say that again because you need to write that down. You, can't, you can be really, really good at doing church and your heart be really far from God. Do you know that? God's not pleased just because you came to church tonight. He thinks you should because it will help you. But he's not pleased just because you, you stepped in the building tonight. Is your heart in it? That's what he cares about. Are you connecting with him? Are you wanting to learn something from him? Are you here to worship him? Are you just here to socialize with your friends? <laughs> and, and that's part of it too. And he made the church for fellowship. That's part of it too. But realize, why, why do you do the things you do? Because God is not, uh, he fell off his throne tonight just because you showed up to church tonight. Like, oh my gosh, they are awesome. They are all that just because they stepped in the building. Because how many know you can be in church and get nothing, and the person right next to you get tons of stuff? Why? Because it's a heart attitude. And one person has a broken heart, a humble heart, ready to receive from God, and the other person does not. Notice um, in Psalm 51, let's look back there real quick. I'm going to read one more part of this. But in the message it says in Psalm 51, verse 16, in 17 it says this well it's either that verse or the verse in Matthew I didn't write down the reference but it says this in the message going through the motions does not please me a flawless performance is nothing to you notice that going through the motions does not please God just by us showing up to church, that does not please God. Just because you give your tithes and offerings does not please God. He wants your heart in it. And really, I, I, I'd say this, and this is not a rule to live by, but if your heart's not in it, why don't you step back until your heart can be in it? Because it's really not helping you much if your heart's not in it in the first place. He says... He's looking for a broken spirit and a contrite heart. In Romans 12, let's go to Romans 12. We'll jump to that, Romans 12, just for time's sake, Romans 12. So notice that going through the motions doesn't please him. Notice a flawless performance is nothing to you. God's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to be perfect. He's just looking to have your heart. He'll deal with the other issues in your life later, but he needs your heart first. Romans 12. So we talked here out of Psalms that says, you don't desire those sacrifices of the old covenant, but notice you desire a broken and a contrite heart. Why? Because he desires you, not just what you do for him. In Romans 12 it says, I beseech you for brethren, Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's so much in that. I could preach on reasonable service. But notice that you present your bodies or you a living sacrifice. Why? Because he doesn't want 
just something you do for him. He wants you. And that's what the whole new covenant is about because a lot of the old covenant people missed it. They thought it was just about what they did for God. No, God wants you. So instead of you bringing something to the altar every week to sacrifice or what you do for God, he wants you. And he said, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice. That's the sacrifice we give in the New Testament is us. And notice that's not like a one-time decision, like I came to an altar and I gave God my heart. No, that's a daily decision to decide to give your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You know, a broken spirit is a correctable and a teachable spirit. A broken spirit is a correctable and a teachable spirit. And we're going to talk about this in a second here. Joel Osteen said something recently that just, it caught my attention. And most of you know who Joel Osteen is. Uh, You know who his dad is, John Osteen. And Joel Osteen is pretty much the most well-known preacher on the planet, right, the second. And his podcast is just hundreds of millions of people listen to him. He's got the biggest church in the United States. And I really could care less what you think about him, but he's right. Um... And some and somebody recently asked him, I think it was probably it was Oprah or somebody that's really popular. I mean, that's what kind of influence he has. And Joe Osteen, if you've ever listened to him or seen him, he's very tender hearted. He's a humble man for all that he has. And that's why God keeps giving him more. Little little nugget there. If you humble yourself before God, what does it say? He will lift you up. And he's humble. And that's why God keeps promoting him in his ministry. And notice he, he took his dad's church to a whole nother level. I mean, they already had tens of thousands of people at the church before, but now they got 50,000, 60,000 people that come every week to his church. And he says something interesting because um, I think it was Oprah or somebody else. Ask him, because he's on a lot of, you know, CNN talk shows. People ask him stuff. And, you know, they're always trying to start something with him like they do most preachers. And um, he never gives them anything to work with. And so, but he says something interesting. She said, well, you know, you got the biggest church in the United States. Um, you got hundreds of millions of people listening to your podcast. Your books are all number one bestsellers. You're making millions and millions of dollars off that. She said, how do you stay humble? How do you you know, handle all that without changing and becoming a different person. Because I mean, no, a lot of people get all that and their personality changes. They start thinking that they're all that. They start getting in pride. Other things start happening. And the enemy uses that uh, to try to affect people that are getting promoted like that. But he just said something real simple, but it just stood out to me. He said, every morning when I wake up, this is how he said he, he stays humble. And he has a broken spirit before God. He said, every morning I wake up, I say, God, is my heart right? He said, that's the first thing I ask God every morning. God, is my heart right? And I say, that's something that we could learn from him and use that every day. God, is my heart right? Notice that I'm not talking about God like as in you're not right with God. Because you know you're right with God if you're saved and you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But notice, are you right with him in your attitudes? In the way you receive from him? In the way you treat others? In just little things in, in your life, are you right? And notice he said, 
I asked God every morning, he said, God, is my heart right? And that's how he stays humble and broken before God. I dare you to ask God that every morning, God, is my heart right? It will change the way you live out your day. Because you will have a broken, humble spirit before God the rest of the day when you're asking him every day, God, is my heart right? And if it's not, I want you to talk to me if it's not right in a certain area. And be big enough to take it. And so that's, that's what we're going into the next point here. A broken spirit is a correctable and teachable spirit. Somebody who has a broken spirit, a contrite spirit, is correctable and teachable. So if you get offended or huffy or you got an attitude when somebody corrects you, you don't have a broken spirit. If you're critical of everything and everyone, you don't have a broken spirit. If nobody can speak into your life without you getting offended at it, and maybe not to their face you're offended at it, but later on you're at home pouting about it and you treat them differently, you don't have a broken spirit. People that really have a broken spirit are like this. Notice, you don't see correction as an insult, you see it as love. Because how many know, if somebody's correcting you that's in your life, that is sent by God, They're not doing it because they're trying to insult you, tear you down, beat you up. They're doing it because they love you and they see something in your life that is going to eventually hurt you. So they're going to speak up and say something. That's the same way with God. When God corrects you, it's not because he's trying to put you down. It's because he's a good father and he loves you and he doesn't want to see you self-destruct for the dumb decisions you're making. So you see correction as love, not an insult. You know, when God corrected David here, and we we just read it in Psalm 51, when God corrected David, what did David do? He had a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and he humbled himself before God. And notice God still used him after that. And how many know Saul, who was a king before David, he was anointed by God too. But when he was corrected, what did he do? He was prideful. He was arrogant. He got offended at it. And what did he end up doing? He ended up dying and committing suicide because he wouldn't take correction. And notice, David's life prospered even after he made a mistake. Why? Because he took correction and he had a teachable, broken spirit. He didn't get mad at God. He didn't get mad at other people in his life trying to help him. He had a correctable, teachable spirit. And notice, Saul didn't, and God couldn't use him anymore. You know, here's something that I want to mention real quick. So when you have a broken spirit, it's you're correctable, you're teachable. And when you get corrected, before correction comes, conviction comes. And I'm going to say this because we need to clear this up. Because church people, a lot of people get get scared when people start talking about conviction. Conviction. And they get two different things confused. They get conviction and condemnation confused. And they're two different things. God has not called us to condemn people, but there will be conviction, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And they're different. And so I'm going to tell you and and read to you the difference. Okay. If you have a correctable, teachable spirit, the Holy Spirit then will deal with you about stuff, but notice he will convict you of stuff, not condemn you of stuff. 
And there's a big difference. Okay, let me tell you the difference. Conviction is from God. Condemnation is from Satan. Conviction leads to life. Condemnation leads to despair. Conviction ends in joy. Condemnation ends in sorrow. Here's the key here. Conviction makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe we can't change. Okay, there's the big difference. When you leave church convicted, you should feel like, no, I can change. I want to change. The Holy Spirit's inspired me to change. That's godly conviction. But if you leave church or you leave, you know, the enemy's talking to you and you don't know whether it's God or the enemy, and you feel like, I'm stuck here forever, I'm going to be like this forever, I feel like I can't change, I feel beat up, I feel guilty, I feel sorrowful, that's not from God. That's from the devil. And there's a big difference. Because the, the enemy will try to use it and turn it, that godly sorrow, that godly repentance, that broken spirit, and he'll try to move you into condemnation instead of conviction. So realize the difference. When you feel convicted at church, and you know you should feel convicted at church, not because of the preacher, because the Holy Spirit's dealing with stuff in your life. You shouldn't feel condemned. But realize when he does, it will make you want to change. But notice if it's condemnation, it will make you believe you can't change. Here's something else. Conviction leads to new identity in Christ. Condemnation leads to old identity in sin. Conviction brings specific awareness of sin. Condemnation brings vague uncertainty about your sin. Conviction looks to Jesus. Condemnation looks to self. Conviction is a blessing. Condemnation is a burden. So there's a, a good rule of when it comes in your life and you feel that sense of conviction and you need to change, filter it through those things that I just spoke about. Is this from God or is this from the devil? Because how many know if it's real godly conviction, it will make you want to change. And beyond that, you'll have the, the knowledge and the wisdom and the insight knowing that if the Holy Spirit lives in me and he's convicting me of it, that means he's going to help me and empower me to change. That's how you know it's from the Holy Ghost. Because if it's not from the Holy Ghost, you have no hope to change. I mean, you know, we can't change without God's help. So notice the difference between conviction and condemnation. So conviction comes and correction comes, and it primarily comes through the Holy Spirit speaking in your life, but it also comes through the Word of God. Because how many know the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God that's written, that's sitting on your lap, those 66 books? How many know when you get in the Word of God, conviction will come to you, a godly conviction that you need to change, that things need to change, that you need to change the way you think, you need to change the way you live, that things need to be different. And notice that's from God. Do not fight that. Here's something. Conviction will come through pastors and others in your life that you respect. How many know if it's conviction, it will make you want to change? And you've got to be very careful because there's some preachers that border the line and they preach condemnation which makes their people feel like a piece of junk and they leave feeling guilty they, feel, they leave feeling more beat up they feel more sorrowful and they leave feeling like I can never do this how many know if a preacher preaches like that to you and you leave feeling that way he's not of God <laughs> and he's not under the Holy Ghost if he tells you that if you leave feeling beat up shamed like I can never do what he just preached he's not preaching from, from God 
there's another spirit influencing him. So this is a good rule of thumb. When you hear somebody preach and they make you feel like a piece of junk, they're not from God. (laughs) So conviction will come and correction will come from those in your life. You got to, you know, it, it, it talks about here that when you got a broken spirit, it's a humble spirit. And you have to humble your spirit your spirit and yourself to take correction and be teachable. Realize no matter how old you get, you can still learn something new. And the men of God that I've seen lasted the long haul that have been like their 80s and 90s and still been moving with God like a like a Dr. Summerall or Brother Hagen is they stayed teachable. They stayed correctable. They didn't act like they knew everything even though they knew a lot and they probably knew more than the people talking to them. But they still stayed teachable no matter how old they got and that's why God kept moving in their life. There's always more to know about God. Let's look over at James 4. You guys get anything tonight? I realize I'm teaching a little bit more than preaching, but it will, it will help you. You know, when we preach messages like this, it gets a little messy, it gets a little sticky. It's kind of somber. Why? Because we're dealing with heart issues. And that makes us feel uncomfortable. Because we like preachers to preach superficial messages that don't make us feel like we need to change. And when we really start talking about real life issues, Real Talk Thursday, talk about heart issues, it feels a little uncomfortable. But realize that's conviction, not condemnation, so don't push it away. It's a godly conviction that God's trying to take you to a new level, a new place. Here's something. A broken spirit is a humble spirit. A broken spirit is a humble spirit. James 4, 6, it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And realize that's a passage from Proverbs that he's quoting in James. And... How many know if God mentions it one time, it's important, but if he mentions it two times, it's really, really important. He doesn't just repeat himself just for fun. He repeats himself because it's important and you need to get it. And so he mentions this in the OT and the NT. So it's very important. And God says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble to the humble. You know, the people that I see that are successful in life and following God are humble people. They're not know-it-alls. They don't always got to talk. They don't always got to be the center of attention and tell others why they're wrong and they're right. That's not a humble spirit. I mean, no, people that are not humble are not attractive people to be around. Here's a little side nugget. You ready for this side nugget? About reaching people the world is tired of arrogant, prideful Christians. That's why a lot of people don't want to be Christians because the Christians that they know are arrogant, prideful, stuck up, and just telling everybody why they're wrong and they're right. Instead of having a humble spirit like, hey, I'm in the same boat with you. Jesus has changed my life. He can change your life too. A humble spirit. And notice it says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Write this down. The root of all sin and selfishness is pride. The root of all sin and selfishness is pride. How many know the number one sin that the devil committed against God 
was he was prideful. He said, I will do this. I will do that. God, I want to be where you're at. I want to take over. I want to be in charge. I want to do this. Pride. Pride is the root issue of all sin and selfishness because it's focused about you. <laughs> that you know everything and everybody else doesn't know anything. You're right. And, and let me say this, and I said this earlier, but us as young people, please do not be this way. And I'm not just talking about you and God. I'm just talking about just you and your parents, for goodness sakes. They've been on the planet longer than you have. And majority of time, I said majority, not always, but majority of time, they are speaking godly wisdom into your life, and you're saying, I just know better than they know. They never, yes, actually they have been where you are, and they know better majority of time. And they have godly wisdom they're trying to give to you if you just have a broken, humble spirit. You know, it's not just with God, but with, how about your parents? How about your pastors? So he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, you have to admit that you need saving to be saved. Do you not understand that? That's why prideful people will never get the gospel. Because it takes you humbling yourself before God, saying, I am a sinner, I can't save myself, I need help, I need a Savior. So notice, he said, God resists the proud, he can't work with people like that. But he gives grace to the humble. But you've got to admit your need for him, for him to give you grace and humble yourself. For even to get saved... Just to get in the kingdom of God and get saved, you have to have a humble spirit to say, I need help, I can't do it, I can't fix myself, I need saving, and I need a savior. And notice it says, when you humble yourself, what he gives grace to the humble. You've got to be open and honest before God that you can't do this. And notice that's when his grace comes in to help you. You know, a lot of us don't have a, an issue when we first get saved relying on God's grace it's just after we're saved and we've been saved a while and we think we're starting to do it by ourselves now because we're pretty good Christians that we stop depending on God's grace how many know it's the same thing for you you could go on in your Christian life and stop thinking that you need God's grace but you need it just as the same day as you got saved you still need God's grace and God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble you know, when we, when we all got started here in the, in the state that God found us, we realized we needed grace, but you still need grace. To live, to move, to breathe, everything you're called to do, you still need God's grace every day of your life. What does, what does the word say? In the Gospels it says, without him you can do nothing. Remember that the rest of your life. Without him you can do nothing. And notice, a broken spirit admits he needs grace daily. Not just one time at the altar, and God, I got it the rest of my life. I appreciate what you did here. Notice, the grace of God is not just a saving grace, it's a sustaining grace. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that wants to carry you, wants to propel you, wants to sustain you for the rest of your life. That same grace. But notice you've got to be dependent on it and have a broken, humble spirit to receive it every day. Like I said, that deals with the pride in your life because pride in us says, 
I, I can do it by myself. I'm good. God, I appreciate what you did. Other people need grace. I'm good now. But you're not good now. You need God's grace every day, just like everybody else does. How many know you're heading on your way to burnout quickly when you start trying to do everything by yourself and stop relying on the grace of God? You will self-destruct, and it will not be pretty. I know every time I've gotten fatigued or heading towards burnout or feeling like everything's on me, it's because I stopped depending on the grace of God. The same grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you. In verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. And we, t- we talked about this before, and some of you have, we've, we've mentioned this when we talked about humbling yourself before God. When you humble yourself before God, He's the one who's going to lift you up, and that's the opposite of this world and this world's culture and the way they get ahead in life. They say, you know, you just need to cut others down, step on other people to get ahead, whatever you got to do, light, cheat, and steal. Get ahead however you can get ahead. Get promoted no matter what. It's not about others. It's about you. And God says, humble yourself, and I will lift you up. And because we're talking about a broken spirit is humble. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking about others. You know, Jesus came and said in the Gospels, those who desire to be great in the kingdom, those who desire to be great or promoted or success in this life, they need to be a servant. They need to be humble. Let's look over at Psalms 34. You guys still here this evening? Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and we're going to read here in verse 18. Psalm 34, in verse 18, in verse 19. Listen to what this says. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such who have a contrite spirit. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. But notice that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such who have a contrite heart. Here's another thing a broken spirit is. A broken spirit is sensitive to the Spirit of God. A broken spirit is sensitive to the Spirit of God. Like, like what uh, we mentioned earlier, and I'm, I'm going to repeat some of the things I said. A broken spirit is sensitive to the Spirit of God. How can one person be in the service and not get anything, and another person be sitting right next to him and be getting answered, be getting blessed, fall out in the Holy Ghost, pray in tongues, everything happens to them. They get a word from the Lord, and they're getting so much. It's the heart condition. That's why. Because somebody has a broken spirit and a humble spirit ready to receive from God, and the other person does not. It matters the way you come to church. Like I said, it's not so much important that you just make it here, but you have the right heart when you're here. You'll be amazed how much more you get out of it when you come with a broken, humble spirit. 
A broken spirit's sensitive to the Spirit of God. So that's why you'll see people, and I know these people, and I've even had these moments. I'm like, how did they get so much out of the service? And I'm over here feeling like, you know, I didn't get anything. It's the heart condition. They're over here with a broken spirit, a humble spirit, saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I'm expecting you to speak to me today. I want to receive everything you have for me, and I've come here to be taught. I've come here to receive. I have a broken spirit to be corrected today. Somebody like that is going to receive something every time they get in service. Instead of like, we're here again, same old, same old, you know. Pastor tells the same stories, same praise and worship, nothing exciting. You wonder why you don't get anything with that attitude. But then you see other people sitting right next to that person getting so much. It's the heart condition. Somebody has a broken spirit. Here's some ways to develop a broken spirit that's sensitive to the Spirit of God. Get in times of worship. Get in times of prayer and get in the Word. You know, and I'm going to say this because it's permission to speak freely Thursday, isn't it, Charles? We know the ones who don't read the Bible and don't worship outside of church. It's obvious. Is it not obvious? Am I the only one who thinks like this? It's like, we, especially when you're standing up here doing praise and worship, it's like, we know which one of you, you, you out there who don't worship during the week. It's obvious. It's not that hard to see. We see the ones worshiping, and then we see the ones who don't. Okay, we, we just know who worshiped that week. It's that simple. I realize that's very blunt, but it's that simple. We realize the, wor- the ones who don't amen during the sermons, they probably hadn't been in the Word that week. That's why they got nothing to come out of them. Hello, somebody. <laughs> we realize the ones when somebody's praying, and they look like a bump on a log, when somebody's trying to pray, we realize the ones who were praying this past week and the ones who weren't. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? And I don't know why Christian people think they're fooling anybody. When it's that, it's like, okay, you haven't worshipped this week. We can tell. It's all over your face. You have no expression during worship. So it feels awkward when we come in here and praise God with other people. But notice, if you don't do those things on a weekly, daily basis, you won't have a sensitive spirit to the heart of God. How many know every time I've started to get cold-hearted or I didn't really feel that sensitive to the Spirit of God is when I wasn't praying, when I wasn't worshiping, and when I wasn't in my Bible. Is that not true? And you start getting dry bones, you start getting cold-hearted, you start not receiving anything at service, and start being critical, etc., offended. And how many know we can all agree it's because we haven't been in the Word, we haven't been praying recently, and we haven't been worshiping God? Because those things keep you in tune with the Spirit of God and keep you sensitive to what God is saying. I'm helping somebody if they're receiving tonight. So realize this. The broken spirit is sensitive to the Spirit of God. You will be moved by what the Spirit of God is moved about. And if you're not, then probably you're not that sensitive to the Spirit of God. Um, here's a side note. Let's, let's actually turn over to Amos. Oh, we going there. We going there. Amos. Y'all get anything tonight so far? 
I'm sorry. I had, I had to bust out that, though, earlier. Because you know it's funny. Especially people on the praise team, you all can agree with me. It's not, you feel like, those people are precious. They really think they're fooling people right now. Like, you have not worshipped God one time this past week. We can tell. Help us, Jesus. Help them, too. We're going to read Amos in a second. But, so, a broken spirit is sensitive to the Spirit of God. There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah not only wrote Jeremiah, but he wrote Lamentations. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Because he cried a lot. And not because he was sad so much, but because he was sensitive to the Spirit of God. And what God's heart was grieved about, his heart was grieved about. And so, Jeremiah, who was a prophet, he had a broken spirit. And God spoke to him. And notice, when Jeremiah started his ministry, when he was a teenager, Jeremiah was a young man when he became a prophet, and God started speaking to him about the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah, like we said, he wrote Jeremiah and Lamentations. And Jeremiah was sent to change a nation when he was a young man. I'm preaching and nobody said anything. He was sent to change a nation when he was a young man. He was a teenager when he started. But notice something about Jeremiah's life that God could use is he had a broken spirit. That's why God could speak to him. That's why God could use him because he was sensitive to the spirit of God. And notice Jeremiah, like I said, he was known as the weeping prophet because he cried all the time. Why? Because he was broken for what God's heart was broken for. And since God was sorrowful and he was upset about the condition of the state of Israel, how many know Jeremiah was upset and crying about the state of Israel because he felt what God's heart felt? And here's a side note. And you don't have to agree with me or not, but if you haven't cried in a long time in God's presence, you might be getting a little hard-hearted. I'm not saying you got to bawl your eyes out every service, but if you never even tear up a little bit in God's presence, maybe you're a little too cold-hearted. And I don't care what you say, I just don't cry. Okay, you ain't hard, you ain't big. I usually don't cry either, but when I get in God's presence and God comes in a strong way, I get broken before him, I get contract before him, and I start crying, and sometimes I don't even know why. And notice, that's a sensitive spirit to the heart of God. And I don't care if you cry in the natural, I don't care if you're emotional in the natural, but if you haven't cried in a long time, you're probably getting a little hard-hearted, cold-hearted. And that's side, that's free. I don't care if you agree with it or not, I said it. I'm not saying you got to be the weeping prophet and wear sackcloth and ashes and just be boo-hooing all the time. But God needs to be able to break you of some stuff that you're repenting enough and that you have a sensitive heart enough that when God deals with you, you don't act prideful and say, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to respond when the Spirit of God's moving on me. I'm not going to fall out. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to do this. What kind of attitude is that? That's not a heart sensitive to the spirit of God your heart grieves for what God heart grieves for you know in one of our favorite favorite Hillsong United songs break my heart for what breaks yours that's one of the best lines in the song break my heart for what breaks yours because realize if your heart is sensitive to the spirit of God you will be broken for things God God's heart is broken for 
Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you have grieved or you have been sorrowful or you've been broken for somebody in your life who is lost? If ever. Because I dare say a lot of us in here, we have never felt that for somebody who's lost. Because we just hang out with church people. But when's the last time you cried out for your school who's going to hell without God? When's the last time you cried out for your neighborhood, your friends, your family who need God, and you got broken enough to cry and to feel what God's heart feels and feel that brokenness for your school, for your country, etc.? When's the last time that's happened, or has it ever happened? Could have it's never happened, maybe your heart's not as sensitive to God as you think it is. Did I just get too real for a second there? I'm sorry. It's the truth. When's the last time? And notice you can't make that happen. But if God's heart touches your heart, you're going to be broken for the things God's heart is broken for. Your heart will grieve for what God's heart grieves for. You don't think it's funny when people get murdered. You don't think it's funny when when people are in sex trafficking. You don't think it's funny when bad stuff happens to certain people at school. Your heart grieves for it. Not like, man, they got what they deserved. Like some Christian people. Well, they were just sowing for that harvest, so that's what they reap. No, how about you being broken for what just happened to that person? Oh, I just got up in somebody's business there. I'm sorry. Because that's what I see. A lot of Christians' response when bad stuff happens to people who are doing wrong things to say, well, they just deserved it. That's the harvest they get. How about you being broken for what's going on in their life and praying for them and having a contrite, humble spirit because the the Spirit of God is not rejoicing at that. It's grieving at that. I'm helping somebody tonight. Your heart is broken for what God's heart is broken for. And notice, we need to have that godly brokenness, but I want to I want to add this to it, not to the point that you're depressed and you're discouraged, okay? <laughs> you can be broken without being depressed and discouraged all the time. That's not what I'm talking about here. And realize if you start going into that, realize that you're starting to carry the weight that Jesus is supposed to carry, not you. But there is a, there is a weight, there is a burden. But it's not all up to you. Like we talked about last week, the yoke fits you perfectly, There is a burden, but it still is light and easy. But there is one. And you're in this thing with Jesus, but notice he carries the heavy load. He carries the heavy load. So realize when you start going from from that state to being depressed and discouraged, you're starting to carry it by yourself. You get anything tonight? Let me repeat some of these things real quick before we read in Amos here. A broken spirit is first of all a correctable, teachable spirit. A broken spirit is a humble spirit. A broken spirit is a spirit that's sensitive to the spirit of God. And lastly, I want to read this verse out of Amos. And actually, I'm going to get the message for this. Give us. Amos 5. You guys get anything tonight? Isaiah. Isaiah. I I do have one more verse, Isaiah 57. But Amos. Let me find it here. If I can find it. There we go. Amos 5. I love this. Amos 5, 
21 through 24 in the message. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> You're not ready. <laughs> we talked about having a broken spirit, a humble spirit, contrite heart. This is what God says to the nation of Israel, God's people. And once again, context of what he's saying, he's talking to religious people that were doing supposedly all the right things. They were coming to church, they were giving offerings, they were being involved, but their heart wasn't in it. So God had a little correction for them. I love this. So we can take this 2013. God says in Amos 521, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Notice, because justice is a heart issue. Oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Why? Because he wants your heart more than he wants all those things you do for him. I love that. He says, I've had taken all of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. Let's look at the last verse, Isaiah. Isaiah 57. The power of a broken spirit. And really from this message, like I said, it's not just a... uh, like this is like a, this is, I'm gonna be in a season having a broken spirit. No, this is like a lifetime message. This is a an attitude of your heart that, like I said, if you want to be successful with God, you need to have a broken spirit, a broken heart, the rest of your life. And I want to say this because we're going into the the Jordan Smucker event, the Corey event at the end of this uh, this month, the beginning of next month, October fourth and fifth, is. If you want revival, if you really want to see lost people saved, you have to have this heart. Because if you don't, you really don't care about lost people. And how many know, if we don't care about lost people, God's not going to send us lost people. (laughs) So that's why we got to deal with heart issues like that. God, what am I really doing here at church anyways? Am I here just for other people? Am I here to just go through the motions and look like I'm a good Christian kid? Or what am I really here for? Do I really want to have some things change in my life and I want to see lost people saved I want to see people healed, delivered, set free that's what I want to see and I pray that it's not just a season but it's the rest of your life you know, when you have a broken spirit and a contrite heart you're not going to be prideful you're not going to be critical you're going to be humble in Isaiah 57 verse 15 Last verse tonight. I love this. It says, Thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite, humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart 
of the contrite ones.